This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Aftershock Central Podcast, episode 13. Martin, Ronnie, no Jack. Jack has been in parts unknown and been abducted. You know, I think I'm the only one dedicated to the show. Let me tell you. Oh, here we go. Okay, you're, I'm the only one dedicated enough to be here every single episode. All I hear is excuses. Ronnie has to go do some work stuff. He has to do some baseball stuff. He has to do family stuff. You know, Jack's usually here this morning. He's like, I've got a meeting. Oh, I have to do stuff with my kids. <laughs> I mean, come on now. What's well, more important, the podcast or real life? To set the record straight. Last time when you guys recorded, we all talked and said we were going to do it at this time. And I said, oh, that's great because after this time, I'm not available. And then five minutes after the time that I'm not available, hey, you guys ready? I was like, damn it, Martin. Well, touche. <laughs> touche. You should know but, by now, this podcast revolves around me, okay? I know. Just the way it is. I've listened to your other podcast. I know how it works. Well, no, because if I'm with Paul, then it revolves around him. Because <laughs> Paul's got the biggest head. He is a pop figure all of his own. He is a pop figure all of his own. So we didn't record last week. We apologize. Uh, apparently it was my fault, um, but we're not going to say that. We'll just say it was Ronnie's fault, as yep. always. Yep. And uh, so we didn't get to talk about Captain Kidd. We'll talk about Captain Kidd short, briefly, very briefly, this episode. Um, but we really want to get to Rough Riders and Shipwreck because that came out today. I guess that's the time of this recording came out yesterday. Right. Um, so I guess first up we should talk about New York Comic Con because that is happening right this second. Yep, right this second. And we're not here, but we do have friends there who will gather us all the swag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you want to tell – yeah. If- if not, he will not be my friend no more or my podcast wife on the other podcast. He so. will be banned from us. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody uh, what the cool Aftershock stuff is for New York Comic Con. Okay. Um, the New York Comic Con comic exclusives are Dreaming Eagles variant hardcover collection, which is limited to 200 copies. Yeah. Um, Animosity number two yeah. variant cover, Black Eyed Kids number six variant cover, yeah. Rough Riders six variant cover, yeah. Shipwreck number one variant cover, yeah. and Insects number eight variant cover. Yeah. Which we haven't talked about yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you guys were going to do it last week. That was my birthday weekend, so I was gone all weekend. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do it. You know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna have to end up doing like a solo episode on insects. No, I'll do it with you. I don't care. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe we'll plan it for next week. I think there's only one book next week anyway, right? So yeah, I believe so. So uh, maybe next week we'll do insects volume one. Um, but that's cool. Some good, uh, good exclusives. Yeah, and I really they... like that Black Eyed Kids one. Oh yeah. The animosity one looks pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's no black eyed kids. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that, I guess. I mean, it's close. It's getting there. Yeah. It's getting there. But, it's shipwreck. Uh, yeah. Shipwreck. Cover. Uh, That's, it that, looks that, pretty that amazing. One's, that one's good. That one's good. <laughs> and Dreaming Eagles variant hardcover. Limited 200. You know, I, I would have gone for that. So when we talked about Dreaming Eagles, I said it wasn't my favorite book, mm-hmm. but I really appreciate what it did. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to separate your feelings, right, when you're reviewing a book. Right, right. Um, so I didn't enjoy it as much as somebody who's a, a World War Two or World War One or I guess just anything. like <laughs> a, mili- a military Yeah, like a military history buff or something. Right. Um, that's not my thing at all. But, I, I, you know, I understand that it was, it was a really good book. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, even though it's limited to 200 copies, like 
I, I don't think I would spend the amount of money that is being asked for that book. No for offense the, to anyone at Aftershock, but for the variant cover, the, yeah, the hardcover one. Yeah, well, this one's just a variant hardcover, so I'm sure the regular hardcover isn't that price. No, yeah, yeah sure, 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 sure. Plus, it's limited to 200 copies, so right. I can see why it's expensive. And you can get it signed by Garth Ennis there. That is true. That is a plus. Yeah. That is a plus. Because they have tons of people at the booth. I wonder if he's going to do another book. That'd be interesting. Garth Ennis? Yeah. I would assume so, but... I mean, I know he likes to do the war, war, the war stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, like, he does that war stories over Avatar. Right. Um, but I want, like, the other Garth Ennis. The boys Garth Ennis? Yeah, I guess the boys Garth Ennis works. Yeah, I yeah, and well, and that's like, like we were private messaging the other night, and I was like, we'll get into it here in a little bit, but like, there's no other book on the shelf like Shipwreck right now. Yeah, you know what I mean, and like, I mean, and that's not just with Aftershock, but I would almost say with the big two, even mm-hmm. just the feel of it. But we'll get into it later. But like. The boys Garth Ennis, there isn't really one out there like that either. Yeah, that's true. And it's kind of like Aftershock's thing, if you think about it, because each book brings its own unique thing to the rack. Yeah, yeah. And I guess Derek's probably going to be busy, Derek Robertson. Um, yeah. Because he's going to be doing that Harbinger book over at Valiant. Mm-hmm. And I saw that he's going to be doing a book with Matt Hawking, so I'm assuming that's for Top Cow. Um, isn't okay? Yeah, probably. I thought he was doing Eden's Fall, but I could be wrong. Which is Top Cow? Mm, yeah, good call. You know, but he's doing something else because I saw Matt posted. I think it was on his Facebook that uh, he and Derek are working on something else. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it looked pretty cool too. So, uh, but not announced. There is another Aftershock announcement. I'm there surprised is. you haven't brought it up. Uh, go for it. Uh, our boy, Brent Peoples, mm-hmm. the man of the people, is going to be filling in for uh, Captain Kidd issue four, I believe. Yep. So the that's people's cool. People's champ. The people's champ. <laughs> I love Brent, dude. He's, he's awesome. Yeah, he is. He's awesome. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, he gets something else going. Because I know he said that he and um, and Phil Hester were working on a book together. Yes. That has not been announced. Yeah. Um, and I know that Phil's doing Shipwreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love Phil. I love his work. So. Uh, and their chemistry is great together. Even yeah, like, yeah. Because at a con, I got to talk to Phil. Yeah. And um, he did a comic cover for me. It was actually a Bloodshot one or whatever. Nice. And... We, it was about the time that um, Gold Key Alliance number three came out, I think, uh-huh. and then we were talking about that, and then um, I was telling him that I talked to Brent a lot, and so like when he was doing my sketch cover, he was like, why don't you message him right now and tell him them that this sketch cover is better than anything he'll ever do, <laughs> <laughs> and so I did, and then he responded right back and it was just like, I was like the in-between guy. And I was nice. just like, if you weren't doing my sketch cover, I just hand you my phone and you can text him yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to have Brent in the aftershock fold, hopefully not just temporary, but permanently later on or, you know, a bigger running series later on. Agreed. Agreed. Is that all the news we've got? I think so. All right. So, uh, let's, Briefly go over Captain Kidd uh, since we didn't do it last week. So let me pull this up here. Captain Kidd, number two. Yep. Should I play the Jeopardy music for you? Like the waiting music? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Captain Kidd, number two. uh, Let's see. It's written by Mark Wade and Tom Payer with art by Wilfredo Torres. Colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick. Letters by A Larger World, which I believe is Dave Lanfear. Um, and then cover by Wilfredo Torres and Kelly Fitzpatrick. So this book, 
let me tell you about this book. Okay. Um, I was a little com- I was a little confused with the first issue, but I enjoyed it. Uh huh. With the second issue, I think I'm more confused. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Okay, good. So I'm not the only one. No. Uh, but it does pick up right after the events of the first one. So, uh, Captain Kidd, um, what's, what's the girl's name? I can't remember her name. Um, now that you put me on the spot, I don't know. That's how I do it. So, Captain Kidd and this mystery girl that popped in. in the, the 80s first, girl? The 80s girl, who thinks it's 1986, <laughs> um, are, Trying to stop the, uh, the aqueduct or whatever that Captain Kidd was destroying in the first issue, uh, from falling down and killing a bunch of people. And, uh, so she tells him to, uh, go in his bag, in her bag and get an envelope. So he, he pulls the envelope out and it's a, a giant band-aid. And she's like, stick the band-aid <laughs> on the, on the, on the crack. And so he does and it fixes the building, the, the aqueduct. So it's no longer cracking and, and falling down. And he's like, what the f actually literally he says you're shitting me (laughs) if you have kids listening i apologize uh that's what he says and uh yeah apparently it's a tam a time bandage uh that's one of her tools in her little bag and uh so they're talking they're going a little bit back and forth about the whole thing about she thinks it's 1986 um and a little shocker pops up. Oh, Haleya, that's her name. Yeah. A little shocker pops up that she created Captain Kidd. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. As she says that, another Haleya pops in who's uh, much older with super awesome hair. Yes. And uh, a different outfit. She reminds me of a Legionnaire. Yes. Actually, I was thinking something like um, uh, maybe something from like their, uh, Themyscira, like from Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. Yeah, you okay. know, it yeah. looks it looks kind of like uh, one of those old school Togo like priestess outfits. Yeah. Um, maybe like an Egyptian outfit. I don't know. It's it's cool looking. And uh, so this other Haleya and Captain Kid start talking. Um, and Captain Kid decides he's gonna leave these two crazies alone <laughs> and figure out what the hell's going on um, elsewhere. And as these two girls are talking. The, the one the, the one that just popped in, the older Halea says, uh, you must obey your older self. Because um, apparently dun, dun, that's a rule. Apparently that's a rule, as we'll see at the end of this issue as well. Right. Um, so this is not, you know, Captain Kidd thinks it's like her sister or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously they're the same person from different times. Right. So I don't know if this girl exists in multiple times at the same time. Like that's her superpower, or like she she's in touch with all her past and future selves. Um, that has not been revealed yet. No, not been revealed. Um, so Captain Kids goes back on the hunt. He's uh, trying to figure out um, what the deal is with this uh, Lawn and Garden Supreme Lawn and Garden Company, because obviously there's something going on. Right. Right. And so we cut to a board meeting of the Supreme Lawn and Garden Company, <laughs> and uh, the CEO is talking, who's the main bad of this book, about how they need to take care of Captain Kidd because he destroyed the Villa Duck, uh, whatever this aqueduct is that they were building. Mm-hmm. Like that's somehow important to their overall plan. Um, and he's saying, you know, that they shouldn't be nice to anybody. They should take things by force. Uh, poor waiter comes in to cater the little board meeting and he, he, uh, pretty much kicks him out, like literally kicks him out. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, see, he says, see, that's, that's how you talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's awesome. <laughs> like they're so, beneath me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, then we cut to the future and Haleya and other Haleya are talking and, uh, a mysterious figure, like, morphs in from, uh, like an AC duct or something. And <laughs> did he you lo- say morphs just because he looks like a Power Ranger? Uh, no, <laughs> he he morphs, dude. It's like the it's it looks like a snake. He does kind of look like a snake. Um, it's kind of like the the T one thousand thing from. T- oh yeah, right, yeah. Um, he, it's like he's made of liquid metal. And uh, anyways, he says Halea fails and tries again. But he, he has the Captain Kidden. Costume, he has the kinda. Captain Kid costume, 
except he's got like a lizard face with a mohawk. Mask, yep. Well, it's a mask, yeah. Yeah, or a helmet, so, I guess, rather. Not really a mask, is it? Yeah, I guess it's a helmet. I guess Aaron would call it a cowl because he thinks everything. <laughs> he thinks everything's a cowl, right? Um, then we move back to Captain Kidd, who's going to have uh, a dinner date, and he's he's kind of not all there um, because of all the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, he explains a little bit about who this girl is. How, you know, they were there for each other when I think it was during his divorce that they met and her mom was dying, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. I think so. So that's how they kind of got to know each other. But the date is not going very well at all. She's got this smirk like, what the F, dude? Right. Um, anyways, after the date, Captain Kidd goes back on the hunt and uh, he tries to figure out more about this weather machine that Supreme Lawn and Garden is building. And uh, there's a giant explosion. Hilea and other Hilea pop in to uh, see what's up with Captain Kidd, maybe help him, maybe not help him. And apparently this is an, a different Hilea mm-hmm. because she tells the previous older Hilea, obey your older self. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the issue. So tell me, what is happening in this book? Well, for one, Halea's hair gets wilder and wilder as we see older older selves of her. Yeah, so we learn a thing <laughs> this issue. Number one is that Halea never gets a haircut. <laughs> and see, by the end of this issue, I kind of – I read it again because I was wondering if the Power Ranger Captain Kid isn't an older version or a future version of the present one we have. Makes sense. <clears throat> so he's not Captain Kid, he's Captain Adult. Yeah. <laughs> v- version 2.0. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I kind of got that as well. And for what's happening, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's like a time paradox somewhere. Yes. But it's not really elaborated on besides the whole obey your older self yeah we really don't know anything yet do we um it i agree with you it seems like the the main gist of this whole story is some kind of time travel thing um and this weather machine that supreme loaning garden is building (laughs) well that's what it's called i know but which is just great i mean all the things of you know usually the main bad guys are like from a law firm or (laughs) <laughs> some evil oil corporation or whatever, but no, it's this a guy sells fertilizer. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, the weather machine is obviously some kind of time disruption machine. Um, I just think it's interesting the way that the story is being told, mm-hmm. um, because you know, like the other time travel book is revisionist here, right? Right, and that's more like a, a crime noir type story, right? Um, which for me works better for telling time travel stories than a, a typical superhero story. Because um, I think when you tell it in like a superhero story, it kind of, it doesn't seem like as serious or like immediate that the threat be stopped. Right, right. Um, I don't know what it is. I guess maybe like Golden Age, Silver Age, they played around with that kind of stuff. And it was always kind of like, you know, the mustache twirling bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is kind of like what this guy is, right? He doesn't have a mustache, but... Uh, right. He he literally is that guy. He's like a caricature of of a villain. Right. Um, and maybe that's the point of the book, you know? Because um, I mean, like you said, the the outfits do look kind of older, you know, golden or silver age. Right. Um, and the I mean, the name Captain Kid. That's <laughs> that's not like a, a modern superhero name either, right? Right. Right. Um, so maybe maybe it's it is trying to harken back to some of that older superhero stuff, and that's fine. Um, I think that's maybe why the story feels so different, um, because it is told in that style, I suppose. And see, somehow his crest or logo, Mm -hmm. because it's like sprinkled out throughout the book, Mm -hmm. so it's got to have some kind of significance also. 
Because, you know, a different version of it is on the future one or the T2 one. Yes. And then, like, when he, after his birthday dinner or birthday dinner date or whatever goes awry, then and he changes, then it's, like, all over the sky type thing. Yeah, I so, could see that. so I don't know. I could see that. Um, I'm sure there's some kind of meaning. And, you know, I was referencing the... Uh, Hilea's outfit looking like maybe a, a Greek or Egyptian goddess. Uh, maybe that whole thing is part of it because the symbol that Captain Kidd has almost looks like a, a Greek letter. Right, yeah. Um, so maybe there is a connection that we just don't know about yet. I think it'd be cool to see. Yep. Um, Jack was not here, but he did send us ratings for the books. So he is rating Captain Kidd a three out of five. Better than number one, but still not interesting enough to make me care all that much. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm also going to give it a three out of five. Um, it's not that I don't care. I just I just want to know a little bit more about what's going on. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go just a little bit higher than you guys, but I'm going to give it a 3.5. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> just because the art is solid. Yeah. And it's... It's interesting enough to read the next issue. Yes. So, you know, it's not like it's terrible and I'm done with it. Yeah, I think it's just a different type of story, and I think it doesn't quite fit the things that all of us are used to. Right, right. Um, and so that's why maybe we're rating it lower. But there's definitely yeah. there's definitely an audience for this kind of book. And I'm the old cranky get off my lawn guy. So. <laughs> I think Jack's older than you. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to Rough Riders number six. Right on. Uh, I guess I should pull that up, eh? Yeah. I'm not prepared today. It's okay. When are you? Ah ah ah. I'm prepared every week. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, so let's see here. Rough Riders number six. Uh, this is written by Adam Glass with art by Patrick O'Leaf. I'm going to say. That sounds, sure. That sounds good. Uh, the colors are Gabe Eltab. Uh, letters by Sal Cipriano. Cover by Patrick O'Leaf and Gabe Eltab. Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw on the Valiant page um jonathan sanchez got an original exo manowar sketch uh from gabe Eltab. i did see that yeah he's like he sent me a private message he's like does anyone recognize the signature i was like yeah he does colors for aftershock yeah so uh that's cool so rough riders number six let me tell you this was a super quick read yeah it was um i think it is every every time it comes out though uh, yeah but really fun book. Um, as you all may remember in the last issue, uh, the Rough Rider gang ended up at Guantanamo Bay and they found this girl who I guess in- injected. I guess she didn't inject. She stuck her tongue in Roosevelt's ear and uh, little alien worms went inside it. And so this issue pick up, picks up right from that. Um, and we do see that on the first page where the little alien worm is sticking out of his ear. And he's staring at the rest of the crew. Um, but we get a flashback scene, uh, some interesting history about Roosevelt's past, um, about uh, his his family dying, and him leaving his daughter behind. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, I'm curious, I haven't GTSed it yet, but I wonder if any of that's like loosely based true. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't look at it either. Um, because... Because this book plays around so much with history, mm-hmm. um, there's some things that I kind of just take as part of the story and not like a reconstruction of real life. Right. Um, and this is one of those things. Um, but I guess it is possible that this actually happened to him. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but so we get that part, and he goes on, on a mission around the world trying to find out who killed his family. Um, and we learned that he left his daughter behind with some friends, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see his training, which this man was not named, but I'm assuming it's somebody from real life. Yeah. 
Um, I was thinking like uh, not Pulp Onion. <laughs> What's Dan? I don't remember now. But there was there was a guy that I vaguely remember was kind of like a, a wild man like this guy. Yeah. Um. So regardless, like Grizzly Adam style. Yeah, like Grizzly Adam style. But uh, so yeah, he he goes and trains with this guy, uh, and apparently twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three sixty five until he learns how to block a punch. Mm-hmm. I thought that was uh that was an interesting way of saying uh I guess this guy would not let train him further until he learned the basics. Right. Uh, which is cool. That's fine. Yeah. But I mean blocking a punch for a year not <laughs> yeah. that's gotta be boring. Yeah. Um so yeah, this is kinda how Roosevelt learned to be the uh the badass that he is. Uh, oh, it it could be Grizzly Adams. It could be James Grizzly Adams. It could be because yeah. uh, it's from eighteen twelve to eighteen ninety nine, so the time frame fits. Yeah, yeah, sure does. <clears throat> you might Sorry be... to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I, th- I mean, that makes sense. He's never named, but that makes sense. And that's like, uh, well, I just googled mountain men from that era. <laughs> <laughs> And that's like, um, or famous mountain men from that era, and like that's n- the most noticeable name that I see. Mm-hmm. So, yep, could be. Um, so after the trading sequence, we are back in the present, and the Rough Riders are pretty much getting their rears handed to them. Mm-hmm. Um, as we know, they've been fighting all those guys at uh, at Guantanamo Bay, uh, that whole army. <clears throat> and uh then we start seeing that maybe Roosevelt's not the only one that's been affected by this alien worm. Right. It seems like all the other members have been infected as well. So we see uh Roosevelt talking to his his daughter, now older, not just a baby, Alice. And uh she's like, "You know, you left me, you failed me." And he's like, "No." He's like, "I'm ashamed of you." Um, he's like, no, Alice, I'm ashamed of myself for the man I was and the father I still struggled to be. Uh, so that's cool because we haven't seen anything like that from Roosevelt in the previous five issues. Nope, nope. Um, he's just kind of been a badass, and now we see that he's not just a badass. Um, he's a badass with a purpose. Yeah. And the purpose is trying to right the wrongs of his past. So that's cool. Um, we cut to Mary, who's also seeing things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learn that Mary is a lesbian, and the reason she is the way she is is because her dad caught her with her girlfriend in a younger time. Uh, so that's interesting to kind of throw that in there. Um, and we see a little bit of everybody, you know. Um, oh God, what's the the boxer's name? Um, we are terrible today. We are, yeah, we are. We are terrible today. Anyways, we we learned that um, a little bit about his past. Mm-hmm. How he was in a relationship with a white woman, and that caused him a lot of issues. He was almost lynched, right? As a result of it, uh, we learned about Houdini's past. How his his dad left him uh, and his whole family, and they grew up in severe poverty as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned about Edison. This was my favorite part because I hate Edison. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Nikola Tesla pops in. Uh, the ghost of Nikola Tesla, and uh-huh. like you, you stole my technology. <laughs> He's like, "What do you mean I stole it?" He's like, "I gave you the space and the money for it. It's mine." And uh, he's like, "You created nothing." He's like, "You're right. Instead, I will it and change the <laughs> He's such a dick. Yeah, he's such a dick. Anyways, it's Jack. It's Jack Johnson, right? Jack Johnson. There you go. There you go. Um. So yeah. Then we cut back to Roosevelt, and, and the little girl says, worry not, father. There's something you can do for me. Finish the job and kill them all. And we see a, a scene of you know everybody kind of going through their inner turmoils mm-hmm. uh, manifesting in real life. And sure enough, Roosevelt starts uh, – he starts shooting. One by one, he goes to the members of the Rough Riders, and we would assume shoots him in the head. Uh, but we don't see it. And then he turns the gun on himself, and he says, "You know, I'm I'm gonna put my team out of uh, out of their misery because of this." 
Right. Um, he's like, you know, my Alice would not want me to kill anybody. She was a pacifist. He's like, I know you're not Alice, but I have to let my team die in peace. And uh, then we see the blam and to be continued. Yeah. Like he turned the gun on himself. Like he turned the gun on himself. Yeah. Or did he? Yes, or did he? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We don't think he killed anybody, do we? No, no not really. Okay. This could actually could be like the inner struggle in his mind because like the whole time it's questioned right at the beginning that he's the one that took out the team. Correct. Because of the alien worm. Yes. So, yeah, who knows? This could just be like the struggle in his head. But, I mean, Anne's like laying on the ground and she's got blood on her. And you don't see Jack anymore because he's well, holding her up. Here's the thing, though. To go with your point, um, if if all this is stuff, if all this stuff is happening in their mind mm-hmm. and not actually happening in real life, because if you remember in like the second page, not the second page, um, as soon as we come out of Roosevelt's um, like inner monologue uh-huh. where we see the training a lot, uh-huh. um, all the members of the Rough Riders are knocked out unconscious, right? Except for him and Mary, right? Um, so what, what, what I think is happening is they are all unconscious and they all have this one. Yes. You mean Annie Oakley? Oh, Annie. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Annie. Okay. Um, they are all actually unconscious, but they have like a psychic connection because of this alien worm. Right. And that's why we can see him seeing all the other projections. Okay. Um, because if it were actually happening in real life, he wouldn't see them. It would be like in Fight Club, you know, when Ed Norton's right, yeah. like yeah. beating himself up. Yeah. Um, it'd be like that. But he actually sees them. So I think they really are all just kind of in a in a shared dreamscape kind of. Um, which is cool. Which is yeah. cool. I, I, it's not something we've seen from this book before, but nope. uh, I dig it. I dig it. Um, I don't think Jack gave us a rating for this, did he? No, he didn't. He did not. Let's go ahead and rate it up. I'll let you go first this time. Um, I'm going to give it a four out of five. Yeah. Um, it's solid, just like it has been for the first five issues. And, um, you know, I wasn't like, even though I like the characters and everything, it's just not ever one of the books like, oh, I gotta see what's happening next, you know, type of thing. Uh huh. So it's just very solid for me. Interesting. Uh, I'm also gonna give it a four out of five. Um, because I think the fact that it reads so quickly, even though it has the same number of pages as other books, um, just says a lot about the way that the story is told. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there's no dead spots in any single issue of this book. Like it's there's always something happening, and I, I dig that. Um, it's an obvious contract to shipwreck, which we'll get to in a second, because um, you know shipwreck gives you some time to think with each mm-hmm. panel. Right. Whereas Rough Riders does not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I dig it. I dig the action. I think the characters are fantastic. Um, the art is great. So, yeah, four out of five for me as well. Uh, before, before we move on, there is a correction. Because, like, in the last episode, we said uh-huh. that um, Rough Riders Nation yes. was – we didn't know what it was, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's actually a sub-story and – and the reason why like Mike Tyson's on the cover and everything is because apparently through every decade throughout history or century maybe, um, there's always been a Rough Riders team. Oh, cool. So it kind of goes like like we like we said, only we were just didn't have the information. It's a cool way to spin it off and have a bigger world than just the characters in this sandbox right here. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, alright, let's get the shipwreck, yeah? Yeah. So, shipwreck, uh, just came out. Mm-hmm. Written by Warren Ellis. Who, by the way, is launching Wazstorm for DC, and I'm freaking peeing in my pants. I figured you were. <laughs> <laughs> you and Aaron both. Yeah, um, I was talking to, uh, Nick and Daryl. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause Daryl's about as bad as me with the Wildstorm stuff. 
Right. Um, and Nick has kind of gotten there because I've forced him to read so much of it. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're all super excited. Anyways, uh, so written by Warren Ellis with art by Phil Hester, inks by Eric Gapster, colors by Mark Englert, letters by Marshall Dillon, cover by Phil Hester and Mark Englert. So. Yes. I don't even know how to paraphrase this book, to be honest with you. I don't know either. I will say this. I called it. How so? Because when this book was announced and I saw, I read the description of it. Mm-hmm. The description of it did not quite seem like a typical Warren Ellis book. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And the the type of art. I mean, when it was announced, all we saw was the cover, right? Right. Yeah. Since then, we've seen some interior pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the cover, the cover seemed like an Ellis story, mm-hmm. and the description did not. Right. So I said. This was going to end up being kind of like a Sandman type book. Mm-hmm. And after reading this first issue, I got to say, I think I was pretty spot on. Yep. I would say I would say so. Uh, so what we know from the description, for those of you who may not remember, is that there's a shipwreck. And this guy, Jonathan Shipwright, um, kind of has to travel the world to find out what happened. And that seemed like a pretty standard story to me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but as we get into this book, there is nothing standard about this story. Nope. Um, I will say the amount of pages with no words is my thing. That's my jam. <laughs> That's, That's what I, my jam. I texted you that. Remember? Yeah. yeah. I was like, this is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, it is my jam. Um, I think it. it you know, that's one reason why I love Black Eyed Kids so much. Um, even though Joe does a great job with the story, you know, what Simon does with the art just gives it that little extra. Mm-hmm. And I think Phil does that here as well with Shipwreck. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, there, there's so many pages with, with no words. Um, because really, like, when Jonathan wakes up in the first page, he doesn't know what's happening. Right? So... Why would there be words? He's speechless. <laughs> right. You know, like it makes sense to me um, in the way the story is told. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very dark, very, very dark. And the way that Phil has chosen the imagery, I think, is is really spot on. Uh, I'm very curious to know, like, what part the crows play into all of this. And the spiders. And the spiders. Um, because there's obviously, like, a double meaning to all this. Mm-hmm. Um but let's get – I guess let's get into the story. I don't even know if we can recap this. Let's just yeah, talk about it. Yeah, I was going to say it. I don't think we can recap it and make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. So uh, the book uh, starts off with Jonathan uh, waking up in this desolate landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, all there is is rocks and kind of knocked over um, electrical poles. Um, and a bunch of crows flying overhead. And he's just kind of walking and walking and walking and walking. And uh, he gets to this diner and walks into the diner. And there's a man in there who has apparently been waiting for him. Which is weird in itself, right? It's very weird. Yeah. Um, it's almost like... I know this is kind of part of the the back and forth that uh, Jonathan, this man, have. Um, the, he doesn't have a great name, right? He's just the inspector. Right. Yep. He's okay. Just the inspector. Um, this this back and forth that this, the inspector and Jonathan have is interesting um, because it almost seems like Jonathan did die. Well, during, during the shipwreck. Yeah, but it's kind of I don't know. I have a theory about that too, but all right, we, we can get the theories later then. Yeah. Um, but they're they're talking about how Jonathan was on this. It was a spaceship, and the sp- the ship was lost. It crash landed on a planet, mm-hmm. and as far as anybody knows, Jonathan and the whole crew died. Right. Um, but this man's like, well, obviously you're not dead because you're here. Or, or are you dead? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, he's like, prove to me that you really are Jonathan. And he's got, he still has the badge uh, from the ship, the Janus. Right. Um, so obviously, you know, he's trying to prove that he's not dead. 
Um, and Jonathan's trying to see if maybe the ship was sabotaged, and he has an idea of who it could be. It seems like maybe one of the crewmates yep. uh, was the one that sabotaged the ship. Mm-hmm. So um, the inspector starts talking about the auger, um, and there's like a, a lot of wordplay in this in this page because um, he's trying to differentiate between auger, like the the tool to drill holes, and an auger, like um, like it'd be like a somebody that can predict the future. Right. Um, and they did that by looking at the flight and songs of birds, uh, which is why I was very interested to know about the crows at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, because maybe that's that was part of the whole thing. You know, Jonathan was trying to divine what was actually happening without knowing. Right. So obviously he doesn't know what the hell's going on. And right. Right. Um, so they keep talking about the, uh, the crash ship and like, this guy's super weird, <laughs> you know, like, um, he's like, I, I had all these different jobs. I was a, a bartender. I was a programmer, forensic security, I did protection. He's like, oh, security, are you armed? He's like reaching for his gun. And he's like, oh, God, no. And he's like, "Uh, pity, I hope we might compare killing tools. Right. Uh, So kind of weird. Well, yeah, but he's not even the weirdest character yet. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he has like all the spiders running around the diner. Um, Did you ever see, there was a Hulu original series called the, oh, God. The last – damn it. Now I can't remember. Um, but something like the last the last seat – I'm going to mess it up, so I won't even say anything. Um, but it's a guy who sits at a booth mm-hmm. in the back of a diner, and he's always just writing in his book. He's got a little journal. He's always writing in it. And people come to see him to, like, get their wishes granted. Okay. Um, And we never learn, like, who this guy is. I think they did two seasons, I want to say. We never learn who the guy is. But he always grants the wishes. But, like, the way that he has them do things is kind of weird. Uh-huh. And eventually, like, you see some of these stories connecting with each other. Uh, okay. how they influence the outcome. So like a guy will be come in and he'll be like, well, I love this woman, but she doesn't know who I am. And he'd be like, well, you need to go kidnap this kid and you can't tell anybody that you kidnapped him. Um, and so you see like the, the ethical struggles that this guy's going through about trying to kidnap this kid, um, but ends up kidnapping him. And then this other girl's like, um, you know, my boyfriend and I need money. And the guy's like, well, you need to go rob a bank. So they go and like rob a bank, um, and then like it turns out that like the guy that runs the bank, like his kid is the kid that the other guy kidnapped, um, and so like I don't know, there's like a few different stories. I think it was like six episodes per per season, uh, and so like all these stories kind of go intertwine with each yeah, other. They, they intertwine the events that one person sets in motion affects the events of how the next person will get their wish granted. Huh. Um, if, if I can find it, I'll I'll send you a link and I'll put it in the show notes. But it was uh it was interesting and fairly well done. Uh, but it kind of reminded me of that because this guy's just sitting at it at the diner, writing whatever Jonathan says down. Right. Um, and he obviously knows a lot about the world around them, and Jonathan doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he even says like, "What are you writing?" And he's like, "I'm I'm writing you." You know. Right. Um. Which is kind of odd. But anyways, uh, so Jonathan decides he's going to go and, and find Isham, who's the guy that he assumes um, set into motion the events that destroy the Janus or, or shipwreck the Janus. Right. And uh, Jonathan walks off and he tries to get out of this room, but it's locked. And apparently he just kind of phases through the door. Uh, like he turns into smoke and gets to the other side. And that's the a porter mesh, right? Yes, the porter mesh. Yeah, and that's what the inspector says. He says, ah, the the porter mesh inside him still works. Right. So he pops into the other side. 
Yes. And this is when, like, if it wasn't weird enough now, <laughs> now it gets weird. Yes, this is where he meets a younger, hotter Kathy Bates. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. Uh, yeah, there's a girl uh, in the kitchen of the diner cooking up uh, some eyeballs in unsalted butter. <laughs> yep. And he's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's got like trays of organ meats and, and fingers and pots. kebabs and ribs. Yep. All, all kinds of stuff. And she starts talking about the guy that was studying cooking in Paris for six months and, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say about this part. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's, like, there's blood everywhere. There's organs everywhere. And she's just cooking up the organs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see the guy that she's cooking up. He's underneath the, the chef's table. Just kind of I'm, – I'm assuming he's not alive, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming. He's, like, propped up with, like, butchered knives and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his intestines are falling on the floor. Yes. Um, and she kind of talks a lot in riddle. Yeah. Um, she doesn't... She says a lot, but you don't know what any of it means. Right. Um, so, you know, she apparently maybe knows who Jonathan is, mm-hmm. but obviously he doesn't know who she is. Right. Um... And she, you know, she tells him, "You're just a little sick boy who want uh, who wants it all taken away from you." Right. He's like, "We've never met. Everything's already been taken away from me." Mm-hmm. Um. So, I, I I don't know. You want to talk a little bit about this scene? <laughs> I just I can't explain this book. It's so weird. Well, I mean, I could talk about the scene, yeah, but like, it all fits into like the theory that I have to where it's going, but they fight. And then, um, she slips on an eyeball that's on the floor. Yes. And then, um, she has a shish kebab needle. Yes. Yeah. From her ear to ear. So (laughs) yes, she gets impaled. Mm -hmm. And then, um, he unlocks the door with the broom Mm -hmm. and then he's like almost petrified at the scene. Yes. Now that's happening in the kitchen, because like you see the guy that she was dicing up, mm-hmm. and then her being impaled, and her blood. Yes. And now he's like petrified. But <laughs> so would you be petrified as soon as you came in the first time? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, when he first came in, he didn't see the guy. Oh yeah, that's true. He just saw the blood. And then so he goes back out and runs back to the diner part to where the inspector was and there's a note that said there's a rescue mission. Also so, also notice that all the spiders are dead now. Yep. Now that the inspector's gone. Yep. And so then he runs back out of the diner and the crows are flying away from him, like leading mm-hmm. him to a point. Yep. And so then he's like um just starts walking the way that the crows are flying. Yeah. And that's and the end. And that's how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> See yeah. okay. I think obviously that the inspector and the butcher lady, the misery <laughs> lady in the I think they're actually parts of him, like his subconscious. Like the inspector is like his conscious or his, um, oh, what do you call it? <sighs> his conscious, right? Yeah, sure. And then like the lady is all the bad stuff that he's done in the past. And so like the spiders represent like stuff that's could be real or couldn't be real Mm because they're alive and like the good decisions or bad decisions that he makes and then because at the end when he buries his demons basically in the kitchen or kills his demons I guess or part of them then he comes out and like you said all the spiders are dead Mm -hmm. and I've read a lot of Phil Hester stuff that has art in it Yeah, and his art is like Matt Kent's writing. (laughs) But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, with mind management, if Matt Kent has a word on a page, it means something. Right. 
And so Phil's arc's kind of like that, really. Like, symbol- symbolic. Like, it's not just there just to be there. Right. So, uh, maybe that's just me overthinking it. And to me, it just seems like it's almost like Twilight Zone-ish, like, dreamscape type mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, where it could actually all just be in um, Dr. Shipwright's head. And we don't even know exactly what is happening. Like, the inspector could be the narration that he hears while he's unconscious. Interesting. I could see that. Yeah, I could and then, see And then this is his internal struggle with himself, either to succumb and actually die or, you know, fight his way back to where the crows are actually his guiding light, if you will, I guess. So, I mean – Really, like this book is like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you know, like if the if 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 you read the Wizard of Oz while tripping on shrooms or something, mm-hmm. like that's what shipwreck is. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, like everything that that happens in the land of Oz has like a, a, a counterpart in the real world. Right. 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 Um, but she's an Oz, so it's like this fantastical thing, mm-hmm. and. You know, shipwreck. It's kind of the same. Like maybe you're right. Maybe he's still unconscious after the the ship crashed. After he was shipwrecked, um, and this is all just happening inside his head. Um, I totally agree with that. I think that's exactly what this book is. Because because uh-huh. some of the art, like um, when he's fighting crazy lady in the kitchen, mm-hmm. it goes from um, color to like negatives. Right. 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 So. I mean, and that's just from seeing his point of view. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but well, and the way that the landscapes are done, um, it, it gives you that same feeling, right? It's all so minimalist, mm-hmm. um, where you want to concentrate on just the characters mm-hmm. um, because everything else around it maybe doesn't quite matter. It's just about the characters in the story, right? Um, and yeah, it's just it, they're so fantastical and so out there um that i agree that it seems like this can't be something that's actually happening in the real world right yeah totally agree it's a total trippy book but like i texted you about it it's like right up my alley because it's what i was expecting from warren mm-hmm. ellis you know like dr sure. sleepless style yeah did, did you ever read that yep okay or anna mercury for that matter mm-hmm. to where it's not you know his normal moon night type stuff or whatever it's just it's the trippy warren ellis you know when yeah, he actually yeah. puts his good work in it he's not just not mailing it in for a check type thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean am i wrong no you're absolutely right <laughs> okay. you're absolutely right um i mean i don't think that's just an ellis thing right like to be fair I well think, i think right yeah yeah a, a lot of writers maybe when they do stuff for the big two kind of end up going that way um, but when they write their own stories is when they really get set apart. Right. Right. So I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. This is like a mesh of so many different things. Like even as I was reading it, like parts of it reminded me of East to West. Yep. And I don't even know why. Cause like the story is completely different in East to West. Uh, maybe it's like the, the way the art is kind of handled. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, this book is freaking awesome. And it even kind of reminded me of like, um, Hellboyish, like, uh, oh, yeah. PPRD type stuff. Cause yeah. we don't even know why his hands the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. You ready to rate this one up? Sure. Uh, let's see. I'm going to read Jack's. Jack gave this book a four out of five. Mm-hmm. Cool, trippy first issue. The art fills the story well. But I'll need more meaty story to develop it in the coming issues. Tri- Trippy alone isn't enough to sustain it for me. Um, I think that's fair, but yep. Jack is Jack is wrong. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, Jack. You're sorry, wrong. Jack. You're wrong. And you know, we were hoping that Jack would be on so we could uh, tell him how wrong he was on the podcast. Right. And, and as we usually do in every episode, and convince him that he actually loves his book. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because it's happened countless times before. so It's happened a lot before. I mean, look at Black Eyed Kids. He used to hate it. Now it's his number one book. Right. 
Yep. So boom. Uh, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave a little bit of room here. I'm gonna give it a four out of five as well. Um, not because I don't think it deserves higher, but I want to give it room to grow as the story grows. Um, you know, kind of what like we were talking about um, with Captain Kidd. We we don't have no idea what's happening. Right. Right. Uh, and I think this is to a greater extent than with Captain Kidd. Yeah. You know, because like at least there you have like character names and they have like real lives and you see who they are. Like here you know nothing. Yeah, this is more the adult version of that. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, actually, it's pretty interesting because there were some similarities in in theme between this and Captain Kidd and and Rough Riders as well. Right. Yeah. Um, just you know the way that Ellis writes is. I mean, this this is if if you had to sum up Warren Ellis, like you should just have him read this book. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. This is fantastic, and uh, Phil's art, sweet Jesus. Yeah. Um, I I think I shared that article with you guys. He had um, he was having a lot of eye issues. Yes. Over the past year, mm-hmm. and he thought like he was never going to draw again. Right. And let me tell you, if like having eye issues makes you draw like this, then they should just give every artist eye problems. Yep. Because this was fantastic. <laughs> Just sign the blank check, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going to rate this book? Um, honestly, I'm going to give it a 4.5 mm-hmm. because it's Warren Ellis, and then you add Phil's art to it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's a three and a half right there already without even opening the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and, like like I said, like the Warren Ellis stuff has always been top for me yeah um but more so the creator stuff like dr sleepless or anna mercury sure. um and this is like right in my wheelhouse yeah like um you have great art you have crazy shit happening mm-hmm. and it all messages together and then by the time you get to the last page you're like uh, i'm ready for the next issue Agreed. I'm not sure what the hell just happened, but I'm ready for the next <laughs> issue. <laughs> you know? Yep, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, I, I think this might be, uh, you know, we have a, a mutual friend that we've been trying to get uh, to read Aftershock. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And he has not been a big fan of quite a bit of the books. Right. Um, but he just so happens to be a ginormous Sandman fan. Uh, Sandman fan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's one of those comic book elitists, mm-hmm. you know. He 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 came into comics much later and grew up reading a lot of thick novels. Yeah. So I think I'm hoping that when we bring this book to him, he'll uh, he'll pick this up. And it, he also is a huge Hellboy fan too. That's true. So it's kind of along those lines. Yeah. Very true. Awesome. I guess that's gonna wrap up uh, our discussion for the week. Cool. This was uh, quite enjoyable. Great, yeah. great, great uh, set of books. Yep. And don't forget to stop by if you're at NYCC. Mm-hmm. It is the aftershock booth number is twenty two thirty eight. Yeah. And they have tons of people. Brian, uh, Brian Azzarello, and Jimmy Palamiotti, and Marguerite Bennett, and Tim Seeley. Garth Ennis is there for a main time. Our main man, Joe Pruitt, is right. there. Oh, hey, uh, we need to keep plugging that. Uh, make sure you send emails to blackeyedkids at gmail.com. That's correct, yes. right? Yes. Uh, correct. For, for the new letter column that Joe wants to do uh, in the book. Be sure to do that. Um, next week, all we have is Black Eyed Kids number seven. You say that like all we have. <laughs> you know, we could talk about that for like an hour and a half. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, there's only one book. Right, right. Is that, is that better? <laughs> That's fun. So um, I'll go ahead and, and do the uh, the releases for the rest of the month so everyone's aware. we got Black Eyed Kids 7 on the 12th, uh, American Monster number 5, so that returns on the 19th, as well as The Revisionist number 5 on the 19th. On the 26th, we have three books, Animosity number 3, Alters number two, Captain Kid number three. So uh, thanks for tuning in. You can find us all on Twitter. Jack is at Jack Sutherland. 
Uh, Ronnie is at Rumbar316. I am at Geekvine. The show is at Aftershock Pod. And I still need to figure out how to reset the password. <laughs> <laughs> so I will do that. Um, but of course, you can email us hello at nerdlegion.com. And we are all members of the Aftershock Comics fan group. So catch us there. And uh, until next week, I hope NYCC is awesome if you're there. Yep. Have a good night. Or morning. Or, or morning. Evening. Or whenever the whenever you're listening. Whenever you're listening. <laughs> <laughs>